Let's uh, go to the Word. This morning it'll be out of the book of Micah, three different passages. We'll start with Micah 2, verses 7 through 10. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, is the Lord's patience exhausted? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to one who walks uprightly? But you rise up against my people as an enemy. You strip the robe from the peaceful, from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their pleasant houses. From their young children you take away my glory forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest, because of the uncleanness that destroys with a violent destruction. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's temple shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised up above the hills. People shall stream to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall arbitrate between strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In chapter 6, verse 8, He has told you, O mortal, that what is good And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The word of the Lord. Well, today is the last day in our series on the book of Micah. Uh, looking at these three major themes that we find expressed in Micah 6.8, as John just read for us. Uh, And for the last two weeks, we've talked about what it means to do justice and to love mercy. And so today, we'll be taking a look at what it looks like to walk humbly with our God. But let's open in prayer. Holy God, we come to your word just in awe of your story. We thank you for making yourself known through the law and the poets and the prophets of Israel, how you walked faithfully with them, and for the ways you're still being made known to us in these words today. We especially thank you for Christ Jesus, who is your perfect image, and for your Holy Spirit, who is your faithful presence with us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts this morning be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, when I was a kid growing up, uh, my family had what felt at the time like a long set of rules. 
Um, I'm sure this was some of your experience, at least, as well. Um, they weren't written out. We just kind of learned them over time. And then uh, whenever they needed repeating, which was usually when we broke them, uh, they were said over and over, you know, take your shoes off in the house. Ask to be excused before you leave the dinner table. Please don't hit your sister. You know, it's those kind of things. <laughs> and so we learned over time, as these kept getting repeated, that if we followed these rules, uh, we could generally have some level of autonomy and freedom and not have our privileges taken away. <laughs> Right? So the goal, at least for me, was to figure out kind of what activities fell in these two buckets, like what was okay and what wasn't, and then to act accordingly, um, or at least figure out how not to get caught. Um, <laughs> but, but this makes sense, right? Kids need rules. And so parents set boundaries and guidelines for their kids to give them instruction, sort of teach them how to be and to act and to get along in the world. And it may not come as a surprise that this is how God has operated with his children, too. We talked a little bit last week about how the defining narrative of the Israelite people was their exodus from Egypt. And after that time, after God had rescued them from slavery, he needed to teach them like children who were quite literally exploring their freedom for the first time, how they were supposed to live in the world, how to worship and get along with each other, what was okay and what wasn't. He essentially gave them a set of rules, the law, and he gave them privileges and warnings that were associated with these rules. Part of the text that uh, we just read in Micah is based on an earlier promise that we find in the book of Leviticus where God said to them, if you follow my statutes and keep my commandments and observe them faithfully, I will grant peace in the land, you shall lie down, and no one shall make you afraid. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be their slaves no more. And so God promises them that if they are able to keep these commandments and walk in his ways, that there will be blessing for this. And this is the same promise that he makes again then through the prophets, right? Do what I've asked, walk with me, and I will give you peace. And he's saying that there is actually a way to live that is right and correct. And I know that's not popular to say in much of our culture at the moment, but there is a way that is aligned with God's desires for us and blesses everyone involved. And he doesn't leave us in suspense about what that is either. God clearly lays out all of his commandments and did for his people through Moses so that they could learn to live the way that he intended. And if you've ever read through the books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you know that God does not skimp on the details. Like he is very specific about the ways to worship and to treat each other. And I think this is why Micah was so exasperated when he then walks into Jerusalem all these years later after the nation and the people have gotten comfortable and powerful and the leaders are making a complete mess of things. I mean, they're buying up land. We talked about some of the context of this last week. They're exploiting the poor and the priests and the judges and these ones who were supposed to be rulers in the city were doing things in the name of God but that were incredibly self-seeking. They were doing it for the right price. And Micah is exasperated because there is no excuse. He's told you, oh mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require? 
but that you do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. He has told you. This is part of the reason that all of these rituals for worship and these rhythms of teaching were established in the life of Israel in the first place, so that they could learn these things and not forget, so that it was fresh in their mind at all times. This is why the psalmists sing, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. In fact, the entire book of Psalms opens by saying, happy are those whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. In whatever they do, they prosper. So they're saying that the word of God is good for us, that it's a way of blessing. And because of that, as Micah promised, all of these nations, all of the peoples of the world will eventually come and hear the teaching of the Lord. Out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Because God is like a good parent, right? He makes his expectations clear. I mean, do you remember being a kid and learning about God's stories and God's commands growing up? I mean, some of us weren't raised in the church, uh, but many of us have had experiences like our kids are having now, where they're hearing the stories about how much God loves them, and also hearing about how God wants them to love him in return. And so once we know, once we have been taught these things, we're meant to put those lessons into action then, right? Follow Jesus. Love your neighbor. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. I mean, knowing, hearing Micah's exasperated tone in this, uh, especially with the way that the, the poor are being exploited in Israel, it's almost like we can hear him saying, you know what is right. Now please, just do it. And he's like the earliest ever Nike spokesperson, right? Just do it. <laughs> Just please, for the love of God, literally, do what the Lord has told you is good. <laughs> he's made it very clear. <laughs> Children of God have to actually walk the walk. And at some point, we're going to have to not just hear the teaching, but go out and live in the way of Jesus, right? It requires putting our faith into practice, not just having these rhythms of worship that we come and do in order to appease God or feel good about ourselves or just kind of get that reminder and then let go of it, but actually letting it seep into our lives, the rest of our Monday to Saturday lives. It's about aligning our belief with our behavior, kind of like Pastor Chris was mentioning two weeks ago, talking about doing justice. It's not enough to just believe in justice, right? We have to actually do it. Because I could say, you know, just as an example, that caring for the poor is really important to me. But if I don't take the time to build relationships with people who are actually experiencing poverty or show them kindness or partner with people who are in positions to work to fix the system, do I actually believe it's that important? Someone once said to me, show me your calendar and your checkbook and I can tell you what your priorities are. Right? It's kind of the same thing as saying, actions speak louder than words. If we really believe in something, it should change the way we live. 
right? So we're meant to take what we learned, these desires that God has already made clear for us, and go out and do them. It sounds pretty simple, actually. And I honestly believe that this is what many, if not all of us, genuinely try to do with our lives as Christians, right? We take this gospel news that has saved our lives, we strap it on our back, and we go out into the world in peace and love every week as best we can. But here's the hard part, (laughs) and where I wrestle with this a lot. We fail. We fail to do that over and over again. We go out into our everyday lives and all of a sudden we're not doing justice and we don't have a whole lot of capacity for mercy for our neighbor, even though we know that it's the right thing to do. Things don't go according to plan even after we've set out with the best of intentions. We get short with our family, we're stressed at work, we get distracted or we get lazy. We end up in the same place, more or less, as Micah's audience, needing this exasperated reminder again and again and again. Jesus had the same issue with the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It's these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. And so why does that happen if we know what is good? Sometimes we look at uh, a young child who's made a mistake, and, you know, we think, well, it's because they don't know any better or because she's just a kid. You know, but the people that Micah and Jesus are addressing, they did know better. In fact, they knew better than anyone. They were the rulers and the spiritual leaders of the people. If anyone was going to get these things right... It should be them. And now we are the church. So it should be us, right? This has been a real struggling point for me personally, just as someone who is really a perfectionist sometimes and a bit of an achiever. You know, I am acutely aware of the times that I am not living up to what I know is good. Like when I try to do justice, but it turns out I'm just like trying to get my own way. (laughs) Or when I'm so stressed out and tired that even though I know I should be showing mercy, I do not have the patience to speak to one more human being in the day. Like, it's not like I don't know what's in this book. It's the just do it part that trips me up. (laughs) And I would imagine, at least it comforts me to imagine that this is probably true for many of us. And I think that's why Micah reminds us that it's not just the walking that matters. It's about walking humbly with our God. That is a key piece of this verse. He's told us what is good, and that's something that we can be abundantly thankful for, that he does not leave us in the middle of mystery wondering what it is that he wants us to do. But we can fall into the same trap as the rulers and religious leaders that get chastised, if we get to a point where we think we know what is good, and then we try to put it all on ourselves to just go do it. It's never gonna work. Turns out the word of God is not something we can simply strap on our back and take out into the world and succeed. 
the one who is the living word of God has to go with us. Right? The one who is the living word of God has to go with us. It's his presence along the journey that matters, not how well we can follow the set of rules that God gives us. I mean, even Moses, who was the first person to hold the word of God physically in his hands with the two stone tablets that he carried down, knew that they could not set out from Mount Sinai without the presence of God going with them. God had said to him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses replies, if your presence will not go, don't carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? He knew that even with all the right rules and commandments, the people could not do it alone. They needed a guide along the journey. Because the journey never turns out the way you expect, right? <laughs> we know this over and over and over. We might set out with the right tools and think that we have all the capacity for handling what comes, and then life just takes a giant turn. And we don't know what's happening. And so Moses was prepared to walk out only with his God humbly paying attention. And it's interesting that this word uh, humbly in Micah 6 verse 8 is actually a Hebrew verb that is not used anywhere else in the Old Testament. It's not the normal word for humble because the normal word that we use for humility in Hebrew is associated with things like um, kind of being lowly or meek or poor in spirit. But this word for humbly means something more like carefully or intentionally, or circumspectly paying attention. It's seeing and being attentive not only to what we know God has done in the past, but what he is still doing in the present. I've been listening to a lecture series from a former professor of mine from Whitworth. His name's Adam Nieder. He was talking about how often we think about Christian living and about holiness as this set of virtues that we acquire more of over time, right? That if we just learn enough and then we go just do these commands that God has given us, then eventually we have hope of mastering them and being a good Christian. But God doesn't work like that. We don't just get good at being a Christian over time. Or I imagine many of us in this room would feel like we had stuff figured out. Right? No matter how hard we try. <laughs> Instead, growing in holiness looks like what he calls a series of explosive encounters with Christ over the course of our lives. We have to actually walk with Jesus. Because God is not a teacher that finishes a lesson and then sends us out to sink or swim. He's the one that says, follow me and pay attention and I will show you what justice and mercy and kindness and peace look like along every step of this journey that I have planned uniquely for you. I know what your path is and I need you to trust me and I'm going to walk with you every single step of the way. You don't have to go through the wilderness alone. I will walk among you and I will be your God. Thank goodness we have that promise, right? So our job as Christians is not actually to just know our scripture and learn all the rules and go follow them, even though it is good for us to know. 
It's not even to go out into the world and be like Christ. It's to go out and be with Christ. Right? To walk humbly with our God, who is unchanging and yet full of surprises. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I have a goal in mind, something that I'm trying to achieve or something that I think is good, I can get a bit of tunnel vision, <laughs> which means it's really hard for me to step back out of that and say, okay, God, what are you up to right now? <laughs> are we in line at the moment? <laughs> I mean, even asking that question sometimes feels kind of vulnerable because it's very possible that God could say, you know what, actually my heart is breaking right now for what this other person is going through. And so I need you to set down what you think is important to be doing right now and go spend time showing them my love. Not of your own power. I will go with you and I will show you how to show them my love. Don't lean on your own understanding. But this is terribly inconvenient sometimes, <laughs> right? When we have our to-do lists and these things that we want to do throughout the week, it's hard to pay attention and to stop. But we have to walk with God who shows us where to go and gives us strength along the way because there is no telling where his path for us might lead. And it's very easy to get off track and move in the way of these religious leaders who thought that they had the answers and that they knew the rules, but who completely missed the point. I think this came uh, to a head for me a few years ago when we were finishing up grad school. We had sold our condo in Seattle, which is where both Matt and I were going to school, and we had moved in with my parents in central Washington. And the plan was to just spend a few months there and finish up our classes online. Matt was writing his dissertation at the time. And then we would be moving forward into our careers, right? And then COVID hit. So that was fun. Um, <laughs> all of a sudden, all of our great plans just got put completely on hold. And what was supposed to be a few months turned into almost an entire year. And so over the, the course of these months, I just got so restless and really, really discouraged. Because <laughs> I had all this energy to go out and to do ministry and to finish my ordination and to live into what I felt was this calling that I had. You know, I was prepared to go do justice and love mercy. Sign me up. But we were stuck. <laughs> so I just started wondering, like, what, what is happening? It was easy for me to start feeling worthless like I was wasting my time, like all my grand plans had, be, had been put on hold. And it took me a long time to realize that God wasn't just out there in front of me waiting for me to catch up so that I could do the things that I needed to do. And he wasn't just behind me either, contained in this book of commandments and teachings. Important as this is, he was right there exactly where I was. He was asking me to be attentive and patient, which is not one of my strengths. But once I finally had to do this many times over and over, just kind of laid down all of my own priorities and started saying, okay, God, show me what you're up to, that year in Ellensburg became some of the most valuable time that I've ever spent with Matt and my parents. There were ways that I realized that I could do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God exactly where I was at. 
And I started appreciating having time to sit down and have dinner with my family like I haven't done since I was a kid. You know, and I got to call some of my good friends that I hadn't really made time for and learn about some of the struggles that they were going through that I probably would have missed if I was just busy off on my what I thought was my own adventure. I got time to rest and pray in a way that I hadn't even realized that I needed. There were blessings that were in disguise, and it was all about paying attention. C.S. Lewis wrote, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. And the incognito is not always hard to penetrate. The real labor is to remember, to attend. In fact, to come awake, still more to remain awake. So our job is just to stay awake and to abide in Christ, to walk humbly with our God. Because any hope of doing justice or loving mercy or following all the rules without that is pointless. When I think of this verse in Micah, I often think of the story of Jesus with the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. Familiar with this story. When she pushed through the crowd just to touch the edge of his cloak. She was immediately healed. And Jesus didn't see her, but he stopped. And I love Mark's telling of this story because he says, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? And then this woman came trembling and fell at his feet and told him her whole story, that she was desperately in need. But in the law, it says that any woman who is openly bleeding is unclean. And so Jesus would have been considered just in chastising her and putting her down for touching him and making him ritually unclean. But he knew that God's justice wasn't just about outward cleanliness, but about restoration, and especially for those who were poor and outcast. So his justice was expressed in mercy in giving this woman a way to come back into full communion with her community and with her God. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. But this is where we can see so clearly how justice and mercy and walking humbly go hand in hand. Jesus demonstrates his loving justice by showing mercy to this woman who was suffering. And he wouldn't have even noticed her were it not for his attentiveness to God and what was happening. He could feel the spirit moving alongside him and out from him because he was walking with that careful attention that Micah talks about. He knew that God was at work in that moment. And because of that, God's justice and God's mercy played out in the way that it was supposed to. So where is God at work in your life right now? If you think about your day-to-day life, your work, your family, your free time, even the things that you feel like you're suffering, sickness, stress, fears, impatience, any of it, what is God up to in the midst of that? Can you see where he's moving? Right now, I think he's moving with our team in Kenya and all of the work they're doing and the relationships that they're building. 
I think he's moving in hospital rooms with our brothers and sisters who are getting treatment for cancer or who are going through surgeries. He's moving in your home and in your neighborhood and in your families, and even here in this very moment. If we go out thinking that we can manage God's commandments and desires for us without paying attention to what he's already doing, we will miss it just like the Israelites did, or we'll burn out trying to do everything on our own because we just don't have that power within ourselves to go out and fulfill all of this perfectly. God doesn't wait for us to be perfect. He says, hey, I'm perfect. Just pay attention to me and I will show you what to do. Our job as his children is to pay attention And even that, I realize, especially as we were uh, talking in our Sunday school class this morning, how it's so easy for even that to become something that we say we should do. I should pay attention. It just becomes another thing on our to-do list, a thing that produces guilt in us. I'm not spending enough time with God. I'm not paying attention. But God doesn't guilt us. He always leads with love. And the moment that your mind turns to God, he says, welcome home. I have so much love for you. And anything that I ask you to give up is going to be something you didn't want in the first place. It's going to be hard. It's not going to look like the journey you thought you had planned for yourself. But you know what? I'm here, and I'm in charge, and so everything's going to be fine. That is a deep sense of peace that is not anything that the world can offer. When we can just let it go. (laughs) Say, Lord, you know what justice and mercy look like. Teach me. Show me. Let me just be in step with you. Not because if I don't, you're going to be mad at me, but because you already love me. And you just want to show me what life is supposed to look like, what my life is supposed to look like, what my unique story and journey is. He has that for every single one of us. And he calls us to be attentive because we need a God who sees the bigger picture. He's bigger than just a set of rules and a set of beliefs that we can master and a set of things that we have to set ourselves out to go do. When we pay attention, we see the real, living, active justice and mercy of God. And in that, we get to experience his blessing of peace. All the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, Micah says. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being here now, alongside and with every single one of us, calling us to be attentive to your power and your spirit and your mercy and your justice in this place and in our lives. Help us to be fully attentive to you. Not because we need to have guilt about all the things that we're not doing, but simply because you want to be our place of rest in the midst of it. Where you can remind us how much we are loved. What it looks like that you love the people that are next to us. Because you can show us how to love them better than we could ever figure out on our own. And you remind us that we are loved and we are enough because you are enough. 
go with us into this week as you always do, but make us attentive to your presence so that we can be your people and your children who are fully in love with our Father. And it's in the name of Christ who is our brother and our savior that we pray.